Amen, amen. Amen. God is good. We're in this study with in First Peter. Um, have you guys been tracking? Have you been keep, keeping up? Have you been reading? We're, we're still in chapter 1. Um, I think we're, we're going to, if you guys uh, don't distract me this morning, we should get done with chapter 1 today. Um, but some of the stuff that we've been looking at is that uh, Peter's talking about our dual citizenship, that we're exiles, but we're also elect in this world. And sometimes that's the way it feels, doesn't it? It feels like sometimes I'm a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. When you look at things that are happening in the world, you're thinking, man, am, am I the one that's crazy? Right? The whole world it seems to be crazy, and then you start questioning, maybe it's me. I don't know. But we, <laughs> but we do know. The world, the world is, is, is in a chaotic state right now, but Jesus is Lord, and I believe that there's an awakening coming. There's a great awakening that is going to sweep across this nation and throughout the world of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in, in the middle of this, of this um, dual citizenship of being elect and, and also being in exile, we're living in the tension between living in the blessings of God, right? The blessings of God are for us now as we live in this world. And the reality of the burden of this world. You know, th this, is, this is when we walk by faith. We have an opportunity right now that we'll never have when we get to heaven. We have an opportunity to believe God, trust God, praise God, worship God, pull from Holy Spirit right now that we'll never have when you get to heaven when everything's perfect. And God gives grace to those that live to seek after God's kingdom in the burden of this decaying culture. And the, and the Bible, again, as we read First Peter, I don't want you re to read it in a way of Peter talking to people long ago. The, the Bible is not about what happened. It's about what always happens. The Bible is not for yesterday. It's eternal. It's for every day. And so we're going to pick back up. We're going to pick back up in 1 Peter chapter 13. And in 1 Peter chapter 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore. He starts it out with therefore. So why is the therefore therefore? You've got to go back and look. So you have to remember everything that he wrote thus far. You have to remember everything we taught up to this point. And because of all those things that we taught up to this point, therefore, it's saying in light of everything that was just taught, now here's the application. Here's how God is and how God and what God is doing, and therefore this is who you are and this is what you're supposed to do. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. You need to be sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober-minded? Come on, we're, we're drunk-minded. Drunk, drunk-minded is the opposite of being sober-minded. Drunk. Have you ever? No, no. 
I know none of you guys have never been drunk. But let's say you see another person. There's the other, you know, I knew a guy, right? And, uh, <laughs> and that person was drunk. Do drunk people make any sense? No. But what they say, does it make sense to them? Yes. When you're drunk, you don't make sense, but, and, and no, one else, no one else makes sense of what you're saying. But you think that you're intelligent. You think that you're smart. You think it makes perfect sense. And I'm telling you that we're living in a drunk culture. We are living in a drunk culture, not a sober-minded culture. How many of you have seen your IQ go up after a bunch of drinks? Right? Have you, have you ever experienced that? How many of you, you know, you, you've taken a test and uh, you didn't do well on the test and what you thought is, you know what I needed? I needed a bunch more drinks. I needed a bunch of drinks. And then I would have done better on my test. Right? Does that, does that work? See, when you're drunk, you think you know something, but you really don't know, right? No one ever gets more intelligent with a bunch of drinks. You know, my, my kids, one night, they introduced me to a show. It was called Drunk History. Is it you? I don't know where they find this stuff. But anyways, what it is, is, is they have an interview with historians and they talk about history, but they get them drunk. It's funny, but it's not real accurate. I don't really recommend, recommend the show. <laughs> we watched one episode of it. So Peter, Peter tells us here that you need to be sober-minded. The opposite of that is drunk-minded. And what he's saying is this. When you get very emotional, you act like a drunk person. Amen? True or false? We would say it this way. Be sober-minded. Get your head in the game. Get your head on straight. That's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about a people that are very emotional because there's lots of cultural conflict happening, happening in Rome at this time. Does this sound familiar to you? There's lots of issues swirling. There's lots of debates. And there's lots of controversies. And everybody is very emotional, but no one is thinking very clearly. Your emotions are like a sail. And your mind is like a rudder. All of the passion is great. It's fine. As long as it's directed. If it's not directed, if your emotions aren't directed properly, it leads to destruction. And that's the world that we are living in. So Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Don't be passive. But put your faith to work. 
fortify your mind with the promises of God so that you can walk in newness of life and, and participate in your new div divine nature in Christ Jesus. Rather than being molded into the image of this world, a, view, a, a world view that looks to rob, kill, and as we see, is destroying itself. For a Christian, worship includes your thinking. Worship includes your thinking. A lot of churches are completely built on praise and worship, which praise and worship is great. We enjoyed it this morning. It was awesome. But it's all based on emotions. Some praise and worship songs are unbiblical. Blessed be the Lord. He gives and takes away. God told Job that was a lie when he said it. But we sing it. And we cry while we're singing it. Because it's attached to your emotions, but you're drunk. You're not thinking. Your emotions aren't connected to your mind. You understand that? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your emotional life. All your mind, that's your mental life. All your soul, that's your spiritual life. And all your strength, that's your physical life. See, we tend to think of worship as primary being emotional and spiritual. I sang, I cried, I felt the presence of God, and that's all well and good. But you need to connect with God, not just in your emotions, but also with your mind. With your mind. With your thinking. We should not just sing and praise, but also read and study. Man, I just lost half of you. Because when we read and study, it creates a sober mind. And you need, just like Peter was writing to them in their time of crisis, we need sober thinking. We need a sober mind or we'll be taken up with the mob. Thinking. Because thinking pre precedes doing, right? You, you shouldn't just do, you should think before you do. We don't tell soldiers, ready, fire, aim. Do we? Well, I shot, where'd it go? I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to adjust later. Well, it's too late. But a lot of us, that's how we live our life. The order is important. Thinking precedes our doing. How many of you get really emotional and your first thought is, I need to do something. We, got, we need to do something. Yeah, you do need to do something. You need to think. You need to think before you do. Get a plan. There are many Christians that Jesus loves, but their Christianity is largely mindless. It's mindless. They're tossed to and fro. They're double-minded. They're shipwrecking their faith. Because they don't spend time worshiping God with their minds. Meaning 
that it's their thought life is not reflected in study. It's it's just driven by emotion. And that's what we're seeing in our culture is this mob mentality that's fueled by emotion without thinking. And it's particularly dangerous in this day of social media. And it's affecting Christians just like it's affecting unbelievers. Christians are panicking. They're worried. They're filled with fear, anxiety, anger, rage, hate. Why? Because they're not thinking. They're being moved by their emotions. What happens to mindless people? They follow the mob and whoever your mob is. They're upset. I'm upset. We're upset. We're all upset together. Where are you going? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. We're just all emotional, right? Does this sound familiar at all? Just turn on the news. We live in a mindless culture. We live in a drunk culture. It's not sober. So what we're dealing with is a lot, with, with, as a culture, is lots of emotion with very little reasoning. Lots of feelings, but not a lot of thinking. There's a philosophical system that's taught in colleges and universities, and unfortunately, believe it or not, it's even finding its way into Christian colleges and universities, if you can even call them that any, anymore. And it's called postmodernism. For most of you guys, you're probably not even familiar with that, but you're in a disciple church, and you're going to learn it whether you like it or not. <laughs> because we want to be sober-minded. We want to have our minds ready for action. Right? One of the great values of postmodernism is something called deconstructionism. It's the dismantling of core social foundations in worldviews. Does any of that sound familiar? Have any, any of you guys ever worked construction? Anybody ever worked construction? What's easier? Is it easier to be on the demo team or the one that comes in and does the finish carpentry? The demo. It's always easier, isn't it? It's always easier to destroy something than to build something. Isn't it? Postmodernism has morphed into something called critical theory. And it's like a it's like a demolition crew. It just comes in and it just destroys, it critiques, it breaks, but it doesn't build anything. We've seen this just lately with, with defund the police. Well, if you defund the police, what are you going to do? We don't know. But we're going to do it. We're going to dismantle it. Well, what's going to replace it? We don't know. We're going to send psychologists in. Frank, we're going to send them in. See, they're drunk. They're moved by emotion. They're out to destroy, not to build, not to re rebuild or change or build something back better. All right? Postmodernism, like I said, has morphed into like the this thing called critical theory. Does that sound familiar? 
you probably heard it as critical race theory. But critical theory is not just does not just have to do with race. It has to do with everything. Critical theory takes the breaking and dismantling of postmodernism and it adds to it something called social Marxism. See, social Marxism, otherwise known as communism or socialism, looks at everything through the lens of power and what critical theory does seeks to replace Christianity as a worldview and an ideology, and the, basic, and, and the basic tenet of critical theory is this, that there are those who are privileged and those who are not. And all of the institutions, all of the organizations that we have, they were built by those that were privileged. And it's to the disadvantage of those that are non-privileged. Therefore, justice means dismantling, disassembling, dis deconstructing, demolishing all those institutions. People are even taking this kind of philosophy to the Word of God, to, to core Bible doctrine. You're seeing lots of worship leaders say that I'm no longer a Christian anymore. Why? Because they're moved by their emotions They've been infected with this, this w demonic worldview, and they're not sober thinking because they haven't spent their time in the Word of God. Just because someone has leader after their name doesn't mean they spend time with Jesus. Check everything. How many times did I tell you? Don't believe me. Check it out for yourself. Right? So they're, 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 they're dismantling these things, and they're dis disassembling these things, all these institutions. So what critical theory does when it's applied to race, it's critical race theory. When it's applied to economics, it's critical economic theory. When it's applied to gender studies, it's critical gender studies. When it's applied to law enforcement, it's a critical view of the police and the military. Again, does this sound familiar? This is what's happening in your world. The result is that the result is that to be just, you need to dismantle all institutions. So we need to get rid of capitalism. We need to get rid of the police. We need to get rid of the military. We need to get rid of education. I mean, they're even saying that math, math is 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 needs to be rethought and dismantled and taught differently. Math, how can you how can you change two plus two equals four? The same way you can change your gender, I guess. All of these this is this is the, the mindset that is is taking over our culture, taking over our children, and it and I'm ashamed to say it's taken over the thought life of many Christians. They believe that the marriage, that marriage needs to be critically viewed. It needs to be dismantled. They need, we need to get rid of the family. We need to get rid of the church. All of these things need to be dismantled, deconstructed, and torn down. And if you ask, okay, 
Well, what replaces it then? What, what replaces it then? The answer is that we don't know. They don't know what replaces it. We don't, we don't know. All we know is that we don't like what is built, so we're going to dis, uh, deconstruct, destruct that, and, and then we'll build something later. This type of thinking is not sober thinking. It's emotionally drunk. That's why our culture currently looks like a bar at 2 a.m. I know none of you guys have been in a bar at 2 a.m. I have. This is an overarching ideology that often, oftentimes is rooted in a critic in a in, in a, a critique of a truth. Because it's truth. There's certain people in our society that aren't treated well, right? There, there, there's not equal justice under the law. Just look at our politicians. Okay, I agree with that. But if the answer is not Jesus Christ and the Word of God, ultimately it's going to cause human harm and suffering, not human blessing and flourishing, as history has always always, without exception, has taught us. The whole ide ideology is fueled on emotion and passion, not reason, reasoning and planning. And behind it is social Marxism. Marxism started off largely as an economic theory that has proven everywhere that's been put, been put in place to be a massive failure. So all they did is pivot. It, it now attempts to gain power through issues related to groups of people, not necessarily economic, but instead more identity. More identity. And that's why I love the church, because there's no identity separate from your identity in Christ Jesus in this place. We don't separate by gender. We don't separate by, by rich or poor. We don't separate by color. We don't separate by age. We don't separate by all those, any of those things. We are all one in the body of Christ. And if you, if you say, here's the problem, is, is that now you understand why there's a new rage every month. Every time, every time you get on social media, it's a new thing that people are upset about. Why is this group and this group and this group all upset? But then they, and, and then they all come together and create a super mob. And what it does, it, it removes personal responsibility. Because everything in your life now is someone else's fault. And the things that I do, like looting and robbing and destroying, is okay because... I'm only doing it because of what was done to me. It's justice. I'm sorry, you cannot remove yourself from your own personal responsibility for your life. If you choose not to get up and go to work in the morning, guess what? You're responsible for your poverty. If you can't keep your pants up, 
You're responsible for your children. Amen? Yeah, that's good time to say amen. Someone's got to say it. See, all it, the, the, you see in all this because it's all part of the same ideology, the same worldview, the same basic philosophy um, committed to this critical theory, and they're all drunk. And if you and if you were to say to them, you say to someone, "Well, I don't necessarily agree with with that." All they simply have to do is say, "Well, then that's because you're privileged, you're unloving, you're not ep- empathetic." And you're, you're not compassionate, and you don't understand, and that's why you're wrong. A lot of logic in that, isn't there? Sounds like a lot of emotion. Sounds like drunk thinking. When people with this worldview hear equality, they think it means equal outcomes. They think it means equal outcome. It's because they grew up in a world where everybody gets a trophy. The truth is, isn't it something? The simplest things that we've done to our culture has drastically changed the thinking of people. The truth is, in business, you can have equal opportunity but not equal outcome. In school, you can have equal opportunity, not equal outcome. If one person studies for the test and another person doesn't study for the test and one passes and one fails, that's not privileged. So if we're going to talk about equality, let's talk about equality of opportunity. But, but, but we can't guarantee equality of outcome, right? The guy who smokes weed all day and doesn't show up for work, who, do, who doesn't produce the same results as the guy that got up early and went to work, they both had the opportunity to go to work, and one produced results and the other didn't. Because even if you have equal opportunity, it doesn't mean you're going to have equal results. And we have a lot of people that are emotionally envious of people that get up, put the boots on, trust God, and live their life, and have fruit and and prosper, and they're envious because they think they're privileged. And what they do is they adopt a lot of biblical language like equality and justice, but it's just drunk thinking. Their definition is literally break, uh, deconstruct, critique, attack, and fight. I can't believe we're getting political. That's what you're probably thinking. I can't believe, Chad, why are you getting so political? I'm not. I'm still biblical. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. And what he says is to set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we think of hope, we think of something that is 
a possibility, something that might happen in the future. Like, I hope I get the job. I hope when I propose, she says yes. But biblical hope, hope in the Bible, is a guaranteed, assured outcome. It's an anchor to, to tether your soul to. And what Peter says, says here is that your hope in Jesus Christ all, is ultimately certain. It's a fact. It's where we anchor our lives. Therefore, it's not a hope to, to an open possibility. It's a hope to a closed eternity where God knows exactly where history is going and that it's going constantly towards His Son. It's going constantly towards His Son. Heaven is getting closer and closer to earth. Our hope is fully set on the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's talking about here is for Christians, we, we have Jesus Christ in the kingdom of, of God on our horizon. Yes, we work for justice, yes, and we work in love, and, and we work to build relationships, and we work to create peace and the fruit of the Spirit. And in, the, in, in, in a spiritual way, the church is to show the world the revelation of Jesus Christ now, you know that? Revelation means to see. The church should be showing the world Jesus. But until Jesus comes back physically, we're going to still have problems. This is the point. Everyone wants heaven, but nobody wants Jesus. And that's the problem. Heaven is a place. It has a ruler, and his name is Jesus. You cannot have heaven without Jesus. Anything without Jesus is hell. In every ideology, philosophical and, uh, uh, and political system, it's trying to create a heaven without Jesus. For Christians, we understand that this world is sinful and fallen. The storyline of the Bible tells us that we are the problem. That's one thing that this, those that are drunk, they cannot admit that they're the problem. To be a Christian, you have to admit that I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I am lost. I need a Savior. We're the problem. Not the solution. Jesus Christ is the solution. What the world needs is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus to, uh, to cause judgment. We need Jesus to forgive sin. We need Jesus to heal injustice. We need Jesus to reconcile people groups. We need Jesus to provide for our needs of all people, of all time. That for a Christian, our hope is in Jesus. For Christians, our hope is not in an election. For Christians, our hope is not in a political theory. Our for Christians, our hope is not in a philosophical system. Our hope is not in an emotional response. Our hope is not in neglecting reality. Our hope is in the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've got to lock your mind in and say, okay, I'm on Team Jesus. And there's a lot of other teams out there that's trying to recruit me to join their team. But ultimately, I'm on Team Jesus. Jesus. 
Peter goes on to talk about God over self. In verse 14, you know, how, how do we live now? How, what does it look like to be sober-minded? As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Do you, some of you remember some of the passions of your former ignorance? How did those work for you? Some of you are still struggling through some of those passions. But there's grace to overcome. You are an overcomer in Christ Jesus. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I used to read that because of because my, my, my filter of the word of God wasn't in the gospel. It wasn't in Jesus and what Jesus accomplished. And I used to read that and my religious mind used to say, Hear it this way. God said, be holy. Because I'm holy. Now I hear him saying it this way. Son, you've been born again. You are my offspring. You are my child. Be holy. Because that's your identity. Because the one that begot you is holy. You don't have to try to be holy. You were created holy because you were created by the one that is holy in Christ Jesus. Believers are known as children of God. We obey our Father because we know God is good. We do not obey our Father out of fear. We obey our Father because we know He loves us and He wants the ultimate best for us. You are a child of God. It says do not be conformed. And there's a lot of pressure to conform, isn't there? Sometimes as a pastor, there's pressure to conform and not say hard things. To be drunk with everyone else. But we are not to be conformed. We are not to be conformed with the passions of our former ignorance. Ignorant people are very offended by that. But he has called us to be holy. He has created us to be holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written... And he quotes the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Does anyone know what holiness means? It means to be set apart. We are to be set apart from this fallen world. We are to be set apart from the spirit of Babylon. We are to be set apart from drunk thinking because we've been set apart in the Holy One of Heaven. What he says that ultimately we need to be conform we, we, we need not to be conformed to the world but to the character of God to be holy because God is holy. Peter is talking about our identity here. Is your identity going to be found in your former lusts, your former passions? 
the person that you used to be? Or is it going to be found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? What children are supposed to do is obey their mother and father. As parents, we tend to know that, right? Amen? We like that. Even if you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, I like that verse. Children, obey your parents. Right? I like that one. You're looking at your kids like, hey, God says obey. But what God is also saying is not only are you a parent with a child who needs to obey you, you're also a child with a father in whom you are to obey. We need a father that gives us instruction. We need a father that gives us correction. We need a father that gives us direction. You're supposed to obey your heavenly father because he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants the best for you. A lot of times when theologians talk about God's attributes, and there's many aspects that they talk about. They talk about him being all-knowing. They talk about him being all-present. They talk about him being all-powerful. If you ask most people to pick one word that describes God, they'll say that God is love. And that's true. But do you know what the number one attribute in the Bible that's mentioned about God more than any other is? Holiness. God is holy. He is completely separate from everything. He is self-contained in himself. He has relationship. See, a lot of people think that God created us because he was lonely. He already had a family. He had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know why he created you? The same way you had kids. You know what? We love each other. We enjoy being with each other. Let's share this love with someone else. And they have offspring. God created you because that, that, that's so that he would have someone to love him. He created you so he would have someone to love, to share his love with. That's amazing. That's awesome. What holiness is, what holiness is, is holiness is rebellion against the world. You're a rebel. Everyone is a rebel. Because, because there is the world and there is God. And sin is rebelling against God. Holiness is the children of God rebelling against the world. Do you get that? Do you understand that? What God call, when God calls you to holy, He's calling you to rebel. And what He calls holy, the world calls weird. They even call it evil. They even call it bad. I'll give you an example. A young Christian couple, they're dating. They're, they're thinking about getting married, and, and they don't sleep together. And the world says that's weird. That's weird. Why don't you guys just live together? We can't. We're Christians. That would be unholy. Well, that's weird. That's just, that's just weird. What are you doing on Sunday? Well, I'm getting up early because I'm serving Serving at church, I'm serving in the the, um, the sound booth, so I got to get there early. And uh, they said, "Really? That's kind of weird. You get paid for that? No, actually, I give them ten percent to do it. That's weird. That's really weird. I I don't even understand that. The world is is going to try to conform you 
to be like them. Look at the world. Do you want to be like them? And when, you, when they conform you to be like them, it's getting you to rebel against God. God wants you to be like his son Jesus, which is rebellion against the world. Make no mistake, there is a conflict, and you have to pick a side. You are a rebel, but what and who you rebel against is your choice. Verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. See, what makes the new covenant new is that it recognizes God as our heavenly Father and ourselves as dearly beloved sons and daughters, his children. This verse is favorite for, preacher, for uh, preaching on works. One day God will judge you for the good works you've done in this life. But if we could stand before God on the basis of our works, we have no reason for grace. Amen? We'd have no reason for Jesus. Amen? Our righteous works are filthy rags. See, Peter came to understand that there is only one work that counts with God. The work of believing. The work of believing in the one that God has sent, Jesus Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the action that reveals your faith. Your whole life springboards off from that one work of trusting, relying, and believing in Jesus. This faith causes us to live to a higher standard. Christians live to a higher standard. For example, let's say you're thinking about committing adultery. Can you pick up the phone and call 911? Can you imagine that? Operator, 911. There's a crime about to be committed. It's in process right now. Uh, well, please describe the crime. Well, my belt is off, and things are going south, literally, real, really, really fast. Send the cops. The cops aren't going to come, are they? Why aren't they going to come? Because it's not a crime. It's a sin. It's a sin, not a crime. As children of God, you need to know that, that in addition to the laws that are crimes, there are things that God considers sins that, would, that the world does not consider to be a problem at all. But it is. It's the reason why we find ourselves where we find ourselves. That means for the children of God, our personal um, expectations are far higher and far greater than those that do not know God. That in addition to what the law states, we also take what God has written on our hearts and we add, and we add to it our own, our own desires for how we are to live our life. Through our time in exile. What does exile mean? For, it says here, for, for the time you stay here. That's our time of exile. Exile means outcast. You're an outcast. The world doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It's broken. It needs to be redeemed. You turn on the news and it's like this whole world needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Everywhere needs Jesus. Everything needs Jesus. 
This is where mindless Christians that are, that are driven by passions and ignorance, that, if, that is not sober-minded but drunk-minded, has no possibility of navigating this degree of complexity that we find ourselves in. Do you understand that? If you are not sober thinking, if you're not rooted and grounded in the Word of God, if you're not worshiping God with your mind, you look at what's going on in this world and you fall apart. You're emotional. You're filled with anxiety. You're, you're moved back and forth by whatever, whatever the new in-style outrage is. If, if ultimate authority is not found in self, right, the passions of our former self, or in culture, the next thing God goes after is the family. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of, of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He was the foreordained, predestined one. But was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, knowing that each of you are ransomed from the ways of your old conduct, Right? And if you don't know God, your faith, your hope will be in something else as your God. Right? You'll pick a political leader, a philosopher, a moral teacher, a personal friend, a movement, a cause. And what I'm telling you, your God is whatever your heart, your hope is anchored to. As long as they're in charge, I'm blessed. And that's how we get counterfeit. That's how we get demonic. That's how we get problems. See, for the Christian, our hope and faith is in God. Our faith is in God and our hope is in the revelation of Jesus Christ and that He is the one that is rescuing the world. And what Peter is talking about here is that for a lot of people, they say, okay, I'm just going I'm to I'm be in the flesh. I'm going to follow my um, former passions and do what I want. Other people say that I'm just going to follow culture, the grouping, and, and, and do what, what they say is best. Um, others say that I'm going to be loyal to my family. My family is just going to huddle up and take care of my family. And, and we're going to be loyal to my family. And we're going to follow, follow the traditions of my family, the hollow and empty ways, ways that were handed down to you. How many of you When you look at your family system, you don't want your life, you don't want your family to be exactly how your family was. There's a lot of people that just follow the same system, the same beliefs, the same drunken thinking of their forefathers. If your ultimate alliance is with your family, you can't be healthy. That's what Peter's talking about here. What are some of the hollow, empty ways that your parents, your grandparents, 
that they instilled in you, that, they, that your extended family tries to put on you still today. Tradition. This is the way that we've always done it. This is how we've always lived. Yeah, but it hasn't worked. It hasn't been good. We've been miserable for how long? We've done it this way for 500 years, and we're, it's still misery. Do we have to keep doing it this way? Family pride. Well, pride got Satan kicked out of, out of heaven. Probably not, going, not a good way, good forward plan for the family is family pride, is it? What are the things that your family put on you? How about guilt? How about guilt? I hate to say it, and probably shouldn't, but uh, uh, of course I will. <laughs> there's, there's lots of times parents control their children long after they become adults through guilt. You know what? That is a spiritual way. It's inherited from your, fa- your family system, and you need to stop. If you're driven by guilt from your parents rather than conviction by God, you will never be in a healthy place. Then Peter quotes Exodus, and the story was that God's family was, was a number of families, a nation of a few million. They were all in slavery in a nation called Egypt, and they weren't, they weren't free to live their life. So they put out a, uh, a, a decree um, to sacrifice a lamb because they were under a domineering, overbearing, political, spiritual counterfeit of the kingdom of God, and God was going to liberate them and deliver them. And so he told them that they needed to take a lamb without spot or, or blemish or defect. All this is foreshadowing Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus is the most valuable thing in the universe. It had, the Lamb had to be spotless, not the people offering the Lamb. God looks at the lamb. God looks at the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be spotless. When you come to God, God's not looking at you. He's looking at the sacrifice. Your sacrifice is Jesus Christ. Likewise, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. God doesn't examine us to see if we're worthy. He sees if the lamb is worthy. He sees if Jesus is worthy. Right? Peter is driving Jesus over everything, Jesus over all. Jesus is the underlying center of history. Jesus Christ is our only hope for humanity, and that's what he's talking about. In the midst of all this craziness, there is an enduring, there is an enduring, <laughs> there is an enduring in the world, and it's Jesus. Our faith, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our work. Our hope is not in our family. Our hope is not in, in our self, self-centeredness. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Jesus' finished work. And I'm going to probably quit too. Always prepare a little bit more than I think I can get through. So we're going to pick up on this next week. But do you understand how important Scripture is? How important it is to renew your mind 
to who your identity that is in Christ, to get sober thinking. Ask yourself, have you ever made a wise decision based on emotion? No. And the world is trying to drive you by emotion. And we have the truth. We have the enduring word of God. We're going to get to that next week. You know, Rome came and Rome went. But the word of God stands forever. And I don't know what the future is for America. But the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Because our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ has been coming to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for awakening our minds to the truth that we would see us ourselves, our identity in Christ Jesus. This morning, Lord, we, we come against condemnation because there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But we hear the loving voice of a father saying, I have so much in store for you. Trust me. Do things my way. Choose the hard things now so it won't be hard later. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word, that it is enduring, that it, it, it's never ending. It will stand throughout eternity. And we thank you that we can put our hope, we can put our trust into your word and the living word, who is Jesus Christ, that came and destroyed sin, death, and the grave and ushered in a new kingdom that we are a part of. And it's in him that we draw it's in Him that we live. It's in Him that we move. It's in Him that we have our being. We celebrate You and we worship You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.